0: Thank you so much for joining us. I think one of the most difficult realities of the Christian life is encountering those periods when we are just spiritually wiped out. Maybe we're stressed to the limit by serving the Lord, or we're beaten down by other Christians' expectations of us, or maybe we're just going through a terrible dry spell spiritually. But in any case, if you are one of those Christians, the question becomes, what is going on with me, and how do I possibly bounce back to experiencing the joy of my salvation once again? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today with ron moore president and bible teacher at back to the bible and senior pastor of the bible chapel in the pittsburgh area and today we'll be discussing his new book worn out by obedience recovering from spiritual fatigue ron it is great to have you here thank you so much for joining us
3: janet thanks so much for having me on i really appreciate
0: it well i appreciate that you're tackling this topic this is one of these topics that i i looked at the book and i looked at the title and i started reading the book and i said every Christian goes through this. This is just a real, real problem, isn't it, among a lot of us who are out there trying to live the Christian life and just getting worn out.
3: Well, it is. I think uh, I I talk to a lot of people, and I hear uh, this over and over again. People are just uh, so weary. Uh, Sometimes it's just the battle we have against uh, uh, temptations. Sometimes it's uh, being in a a ministry for a long time and maybe not seeing the uh, results that we want to, or maybe it's behind the scenes ministry where we don't get the encouragement that sometimes we need. And uh, we can get uh, so weary. Every believer, faces it it's not a character flaw it's not a condition reserved for the immature weak believer Uh, all of us are get worn down by obedience
0: that's right what do you think generally spiritual fatigue consists of because somebody might say i don't know if i'm spiritually fatigued or if i just need to run around the block a few more times how do i differentiate between general (laughs) fatigue and spiritual fatigue
3: yeah that's a great question I, I believe uh, when it comes to spiritual fatigue, uh, there are some there are some danger signs. There are some warning signs. So one of them would be uh, we, we kind of we, we lose the desire to read God's word. Um, we we know we should, and sometimes we continue to do it, but we lose the desire to do it, uh, and sometimes we we just kind of go through the motions that way. I think another, another sign is we're not, we're not moved by experiences that used to move us. You know, sometimes you're, you're in a worship service or you're at a concert and you hear a song and it just gives, it gives you goosebumps. I mean, you're, you're, you're moved by that. It brings you to tears, just this, this song, this, this uh, hymn or this praise song. And then there are other times when you hear that same song and, like, it's a flatline. You know, yeah. there's no emotion at all. Yeah. Um, I think, um, you know, a person who says, I, I, I get nothing out of church. Now, that's always a telltale sign, right? Because it's not what we get out, but it's what we put in. And so we, we, we go to church, and we're not taking anything away from it. Um, I think another one is we're tired of waiting on God. I talk to so many people, and they say, you know, how, how long... Am I going to be in this particular uh, uh, situation? Uh, Maybe it's a job loss. Maybe it's a marriage issue. Maybe it's an illness that we're going through. And, and Janet, you know this well. You You know, a person who... At the beginning of an illness, you know so they, they go to the doctor and they hear that word that uh, no one none of us want to hear you know i cancer and in the beginning they're saying man I, you know i i i I've, I've never had the 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 strength that I have now and god's going to god's going to get me through this and i'm going to i'm going to tackle this with god 's strength and then you then three months into this you know, it, it's wearing. It's a different story, and they wonder, okay, is, is God gonna, is God gonna show up? Is He gonna give me what I need? Am, am I ever gonna get well? Is this treatment, uh, you know, going to do what we thought it was going to do? I think one more, um, I, I start to feel like I'm the only one uh, doing anything for the Lord. I, I'm the only one who cares about this ministry. So maybe uh, a person listening is involved with the finance team. And after a while, they think, you know, I, I'm the only one who really cares about the finances uh, of our church. Um, or they're involved in, a, in, a, in the tech team. And they start thinking, I'm the, I'm the only one who really cares. You know, that the sound and the lighting and everything's like it should be. I, I'm the only one. When we get, when we get uh, cynical about uh, our ministry, we can continue to serve, but we get worn down, we get cynical, we get so weary. Uh, Those are some danger signs we really have to look hard at.
0: Oh, all of those are right on the money, and I think great ones to talk about. And another thing I was thinking about, it sort of dovetails with what you've just said, is when you go to pray, it almost feels like, as somebody once said, the heavens are brass. It's not getting Mm -hmm. there, where you're trying to say, the Lord, help me, and you just don't feel anything when you're praying. Not that you have to, but that can be a real discouragement as well.
3: Uh, C.S. Lewis uh, wrote in The Grief observed that after his wife died, he wrote this journal. I don't know if he ever meant it to be. Uh, published, it was after he died. Yes, but he talks about during grief where he goes to heaven's and he prays, and he says, he says the the, the doors of heaven were bolted, uh, double bolted and I heard them being bolted from inside. Mm. And I think that's sometimes the way we we, uh, we feel about with prayer. We, we go to God, we have a great need, uh, we're crying out, and we feel the doors of heaven uh, are double bolted.
0: That's so true. That That's the exact image that I was thinking about. And yet, a lot of times when you're in this situation as a Christian, you begin to feel really guilty. You said something very important at the beginning where you said, this is not something that's sinful, this is something that Christians go through, this is a normal thing that Christians go through. What about that added burden, though, if you are praying, you're reading your Bible, you're going to church, you're just not getting anything out of it the way you used to, and you say, well, now I feel horribly guilty, now I doubly don't want to try, because now I feel like I am sinning.
3: Well, and that's the premise of the book. Um, that's uh, what happened uh, with David. Uh, the, the basis of this book is built around uh, King David, uh, and a time when he uh, was running from Saul. So David, saved, David's anointed king. Uh, by 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 Samuel, and I can just imagine, you know, Samuel whispering in in this young man's ear, now, "You're the next king of Israel," and, and then great things happen. And David goes and he defeats Goliath, and and uh, he uh, wins battles and vic- uh, wins uh, victories and battles. And the young maidens start making up these songs about. Him. He's like a, he's a rock star. <laughs> then uh, he's you know with Saul one day, and he looks up. And the jealous king has a spear thrown it at his head, and he. I can imagine ducking just in time, and, and, and he runs, and he's on the. he runs from Saul for the next ten years. I mean, can, can you imagine, yes. on the run from Saul for ten years. Um, during that time, he, he, he's doing things, he's writing psalms, he's, he's honoring God, and then he gets eight and a half years into this thing, and there are two great acts of obedience. There are two times when he could have killed Saul, and he didn't do it. He said, I'm not going to kill God's anointing. I mean, he was right... He was right by Saul in a cave. He could have killed him. He was right over Saul in Saul's camp while Saul was sound asleep, could have killed him. And both times, you know, he, 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 he uh, let Saul know the next day that he could have killed him. And both times, Scripture says, this is interesting, it says, it says Saul uh, went back to the palace and David continued uh, running. He mm-hmm. continued in the strongholds, the strongholds being the caves uh, in the mountain of the En Gedi area. And uh, after a while, he said, I'm... I'm done. I'm tired. And also, that it happened during that time that Samuel uh, died. And so now David's got to be thinking, you know, God, you know, but is there any other human... That, uh, that knows that I'm supposed to be the next king. Right. Uh, he says, I'm done, I'm going to escape to the land of the, of the Philistines. He thought to himself, self counsel, uh, escaped to the land of the Philistines, and, and there he lived for the next 18 months. So when we get to those times in our life, when, 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 when we're feeling spiritually worn out, when we're feeling like we need to escape, that's what I'm trying to argue in this book not to do. Now, if you do escape, there's a way out. But, uh, but to come to grips with here's here's where I am, and here's what I need to do to make sure I don't move into zigzag.
0: Well, that's such a good example that you've given with David, because David, obviously one of the great heroes of the faith, and people will say immediately, "Well, if this happened to David, maybe there's some hope for me."
3: Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah, you, know, you not only have it with David, but you have it with Elijah. You remember yes. Elijah? Yes. The great time with the prophets on Mount Carmel. And, uh, you know, he calls down fire from heaven, and then right after this great victory, and then right after that, he hears that Jezebel is going to kill him, and he runs for his life, and he tells God, God kill me what what are you what are you doing i mean he's he's just worn out by doing the right thing you see it with moses as he's leading the children of israel you know often he says god why did you give these people to me i'm exhausted (laughs) right
0: exactly right ron we're going to come back on janet mefford today worn out by obedience is the name of the book by ron moore we'll be right back stay with us Did you know that over 18 million babies have been aborted worldwide since January 1st? Every single one of these babies died during the COVID-19 pandemic. Why isn't the world declaring these babies as lost? Here's Dan Steiner, the president of Preborn, a ministry dedicated to saving babies' lives from abortion through ultrasound. I sense God's broken heart over the issue of abortion. You see, he sees every little baby that's being formed in the mother's womb, and it breaks
2: his heart to see when the lifetime that he has plan for them is taken from them violently so often.
0: Preborn is the largest provider of free ultrasounds in the United States and the direct competition to Planned Parenthood. Would you help show that these babies' lives are not forgotten? Preborn is there for women in crisis who want to make the right choice but society tells them that a preborn baby is not a human life.
3: I was afraid. I was scared. I didn't know what to do. Everybody wanted me to have an abortion.
0: Preborn shines light into a mother's womb, introduced her to the beautiful life growing inside of her. When I heard her heartbeat, I decided to keep her. And now my daughter's about to be three. I don't know where my life would be without her. That ultrasound changed everything for me. It really did. That made it all worthwhile to know that I was going to have a little blessing The cost of one ultrasound is just $28, or five ultrasounds cost $140. To donate, just call 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. I'm going to keep my baby, and I'm going to be a great mom. Every baby's life is important. Would you please join with Janet Meffer today and preborn in the cause for life? All gifts are tax deductible. And when you donate, you'll receive an ultrasound picture along with stories of other babies' lives that were spared. Call now 855 402 Baby, 855 402 2229, or there's a banner to click at janetmeffer.com. We are back on Janet Meffer today, and my guest is Ron Moore, president and Bible teacher at Back to the Bible, senior pastor of the Bible Chapel in the Pittsburgh area and author of Worn Out by Obedience, Recovering from Spiritual Fatigue. And I was really glad, Ron, when you were talking about King David as uh, the the Bible character around whom your whole uh, book is centered, I was thinking of Elijah, and then you mentioned him Elijah and Moses and some of these other biblical figures who also had times where they were just utterly worn out. What do you say to somebody who has been, for example, in ministry and has been working for many years and is just beaten down, this particular person just not getting enough encouragement, feels like maybe all his efforts have gone for naught, nothing is really clicking, nobody appreciates him, he's opening the Bible, but it's just not speaking to him the way it once did. Where would you begin to counsel somebody like that in that position?
3: Well, I think the the first thing that we need to start with, and and uh, I, I I talk about this a lot in the book, is we need to we need to first understand uh, who we are in Christ. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of our spiritual fatigue stems around the fact that we our, our identity uh, can be, uh, you know, as a pastor, I'm a pastor. I've been a pastor for over 25 years, and it's easy for 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 my identity uh, to be. Uh, as a pastor, as a minister, instead of my identity being in Christ, and uh, I think a lot of times, you know, when we're when we're serving, uh, when we're really involved, um, uh, we get we get burned out, and then and then that becomes where our spiritual life starts taking a slide because when we get burned out and worn out in an area of service, then when our spiritual life is connected to that area of service, we start going down spiritually as well. So if we can keep If we if we can regain our uh, understanding our identity in Christ and we have uh, in the book I talk about five things uh, in uh, as being uh, as to who we are in Christ we use the acronym SAFE with two S's in Christ I'm significant so my service doesn't make me significant whether whether I'm having a a great stretch of service or whether I'm flat worn out (laughs) my service doesn't make me significant Um, uh, whether I'm living a, a, a a life a great stretch of obedience or whether temptation it's about ready to take me under i'm still significant in the eyes of christ right i'm secure i'm accepted i'm forgiven and i'm empowered and we talk about that so that's where we start i think the other thing too is if you're involved in a in an area of service and that's what's wearing you down uh, need to take a break need to take a, a sabbatical need to step aside from that and i think that does a couple things one It just gives us some time to to not be uh, having our identity in a ministry. And it allows us to see someone else in charge of that ministry. That reminds us we're not expendable after all. Uh, God uses other people. And while that might be a little hit at first, it's refreshing to see that God's going to keep that ministry going. And He's going to allow me to refresh myself, and He's going to keep that ministry going. And that helps me go back to realize that my identity can't be uh, in one uh, ministry. It's it's in Christ alone.
2: That's really good. Really
3: and so good. The, spending time with the Lord and and getting involved with other people, if it's a temptation that's dragging us down, then we need to get another person in our life to really encourage us and and keep us accountable and and, and help us. The Christian life was never meant meant to be lived
0: alone. That's right. I was thinking about a a pastor I had when I was young and how he was such a hard worker. And not only was he doing all of his job as a pastor, but he would come over and he would be picking weeds around the church and he would be (laughs) overdoing it. And And it was interesting because so many people in the church would say, hey, take some time away, you need to spend time with your family, you need to get some time away from the church. What about those who are just inclined to overdo it in the first place? They want to serve so badly that they just come in and it's just a setup in some ways for becoming spiritually fatigued because they're just overdoing something that is good. How would you advise somebody in advance, coming into a a pastorate, for example, don't do so much that you're going to burn yourself out early on in the process?
3: Right. Well, one of the things that uh, that we talk about uh, here on our staff a lot is, um, you know, if, if, if you uh, are the person doing everything, uh, you're not only putting yourself in a dangerous position, you're putting your family in a very dangerous position, and you're putting the church in a, in a dangerous position. Mm-hmm. So I think early on, it's how are we going to develop other people uh, to do the job, maybe we like to do that job, but we need to delegate that we need to develop we need to develop other people uh, and not just be doing uh, all the work of ministry, but be developing workers in the ministry. I just uh, was a, we just got a call from a church uh, not long ago, and uh, the the pastor is a great guy I talked to him he 's a great guy, and he said he said my mistake was. I did it all myself, and now he's ill, and he's had to step away from the ministry, and and we do not know if that church is going to survive. Mm. Um, so the danger of being involved in everything, uh, while it, it you know it, it may it may feed the ego sometimes, uh, we may think we need to we need to get it done. We may think we're the only one who can really do it right. Uh, But allowing other people, getting other people involved in ministry and developing them, that's really the call of ministry, Letting, letting people do the work of ministry.
0: Exactly. Really important. Well, one of the questions that you ask in the book, how many Christians have checked out of church because certain people didn't meet their expectations? And you discuss this problem of being worn out by expectation. You talk about being worn out by disappointment. What about those regular Christians who are coming week by week? And they are getting really spiritually fatigued simply because of their expectations not being met from other Christians around them. How have you seen that kind of play out? And what would be your advice to a Christian who feels totally disappointed in the church?
3: Well, we see that a lot. We see that uh, people coming in and... a person, uh, you know, doesn't respond to them like uh, they should. They, they think they should. Uh, and, uh, um, a need is not met. Sometimes it's as simple, and you know, this Janet, it's as simple as not as someone not returning an email or a phone call or a text in a timely fashion. Yes. And they get upset. Um, uh, first of all, when when we put when we put our our hope uh, for significance, when we put our hope for satisfaction in another person we are going to be perennially disappointed and just uh, 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 and i say that to young married couples if if you if you are trying to receive from another person if you're trying to receive from your spouse something you can only receive from god you're always going to be disappointed it's only god who can meet the deepest need of our heart right. so i think the reality is uh, you know if you if you if you're going to base your christian walk on other people uh, you're going to be in for a long, disappointing, hard journey. Yes. When we keep our eyes on Christ, when He's the one we depend on to meet the needs of our heart, then He never sat. He never dissatisfies us. He always satisfies us, and He always gives us just what we need, right when we need it, and He gives us, uh, the amount we need to do the things he's calling us to do.
0: He sure does. Well, and and you talk so much about the grace of crisis, the way that, that you describe it, that sometimes God might use a crisis as his way of bringing you back home. This is something, a bigger picture that a lot of Christians need to hone in on. What is God's purpose in my life by allowing me to walk through this period of spiritual fatigue? What can you tell us about what the Lord does through moments like that?
3: This is, a great, uh, this is a great part of David's story. He's lived in Ziklag for 18 months. He's lived a life of lies. He's lived a life of cover-up, and there's collateral damage to that. He and his men uh, go back to Ziklag one day, and they see the city in smoke. Uh, their wives and children have been uh, taken captive by the Amalekites. And uh, just think about this, that these men, these hard, uh, these hard warriors, these men who have been on the battlefield, I mean, they've seen it all. They've experienced it all. It says in scripture, they wept until they had no strength to weep. <laughs> then it says, they picked up stones and were ready to kill David. And David is alone. He's by himself. And right there, there's this beautiful passage, these few words, but it says, David, found strength he's alone his hmm. men are against him david found strength in the lord his god right. and sometimes uh, god is all we have right right and and we learn then in that in that time of crisis when god is all we have God's all we need uh, and it's that time that david in that in that crisis time he's able to go uh take he rallies his men he goes to the amalekites uh, by god's grace he rescues the the wives and the children, he demonstrates grace to some of the soldiers who were so tired, physically tired. They could not uh, go up against the Amalekites and, 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 and get their wives and, and children back. He demonstrates grace. And it's always, it's so interesting to me. Right at that time, the Philistines, they were out fighting the Israelites. And in that battle is when Saul and Jonathan were both killed. And right at that time is when David becomes the king uh, of, uh, of Israel. And so God uses that crisis to,
1: to,
3: to, to get David to, to, to finally turn back to him, find his strength in God, uh, find, find his m- purpose and satisfaction and meaning in God, and then uh, it's just right after that where David is the king of Israel.
0: Yeah, that's so great. And that's what we all need to do. As you were mentioning before, we have to understand our identity is in Jesus Christ. It's not in the the exact situation we're at at a particular time. I'm uh, falling apart in ministry or I've uh, given too much and I'm not getting any encouragement or discouragement. I'm failing as a mother or I'm failing as a pastor or what have you. We are not failures because Christ is in us, the hope of glory that, that no matter what we're going through, God does have a purpose in it. And I think for people who are, spiritually fatigued, sometimes the best thing we can say is, God still loves you. He still loves you.
3: Yeah. He loves us um, in the midst of our success. He loves us in the midst of our failure. I, I've, I've heard it said, and I, I love this, uh, there is nothing, God's love is perfect. <laughs> there is nothing I can do to make him love, you, love me more, and there's nothing I can do to make him love me less. That's perfect love. Yes. And wh- whether I'm writing uh, high in in, in in a time of, of meaning and purpose and and just satisfaction in life, and we have those great stretches, those great stretches in our spiritual walk, or whether I'm going through a time where I'm worn out and I'm discouraged and I'm disillusioned, God's love for me is a perfect love.
0: Great reminder. Well, Ron Morris' book, Worn Out by Obedience, a wonderful book. And thank you so much, Ron, for being here. It was great to have you.
3: Janet, thanks for having me. I appreciate it.
0: All right. God bless. We are back on Janet Beffer today. I think every Christian parent would agree that our role in our children's lives is not to be their best friend when we're raising them. That is, we don't operate in a way that always makes them happy and like us a lot. But we also don't wanna be adversarial all the time. So the question becomes, is there another way? We're gonna talk about that today with Bert Falks. He is a former teacher who has 30 years experience working with kids. He's the founder and co-director of Empty Stone Ministry, a Christian nonprofit that ministers to drug-addicted youth. And today we'll be talking about his book, called X-Plan Parenting, Become Your Child's Ally, A Guide to Raising Strong Kids in a Challenging World. Bert, it is great to have you with us today. How are you? I'm
2: doing quite well. Thank you so much for having me.
0: It's my pleasure. All right, the first question, I guess, very obviously, is what's an X-Plan? I'm sure that's what everybody is asking right now. X-Plan, what is that all about?
2: Uh, It's so fun. The name of that, um, it gained a ton of popularity from a blog I wrote a couple of years ago and the premise of that is something that we've established for our youngest son. And the notion was, if if he was out and found himself in a situation where he didn't feel safe, he could text anyone in our family the letter X, and that's all. And then whoever got the message would call him and say, Hey, something's come up. We're picking you up in five minutes. Be ready to go. So it was kind of our rescue plan that uh, could get him out of the sticky situation. And... Uh, um and allow him to save some face with his friends as he grows and develops, and we teach him to navigate those those waters. Right. Um, so, so that it grew out of that basically. But the funny thing was, there was a whole philosophy behind just the letter X. It wasn't you know just a random letter. We picked that for a purpose. And one of the things is you know one one of my uh, cornerstone of what I believe as far as parenting, our role is to help kids figure out who God made them to be. Mm-hmm. You know, so the X is that algebraic unknown. It's, it's the mystery we're all solving for. So who is this kid? So that's what we're constantly asking as parents. The other part of the X is the idea that um, we're on different journeys. You know, I'm one leg of the X, my kids are the other Elliot leg, and where we meet in the middle, that's, that's our point where we come together. So it's about traveling that journey. Right. Third thing DX, the ex, hey, Christ, you can't do this without God.
0: That's right. Yep. Yep. That's good. Now, now, this was interesting because when you talk about this post that you did a couple of years back, not everybody mm-hmm. liked what you had to say. Why was that? What kind of feedback did you get from a negative perspective, people who read it and said, well, wait a minute, I, I don't know if I'm on board with this?
2: Oh, it's well, really the biggest contention of pushback was that – there will be no questions asked. You know, if you need picked up, we'll get you. We're, we're not going to hound you with questions. And that sat hard with a lot of people. Yeah. I get that. Right. Totally get that. Um, but what you're really going for is developing a trusting relationship with your kid. You, know, you develop a healthy, trusting relationship. You won't need to ask questions. Mm-hmm. They will come to you and talk about it. That's the beautiful thing.
0: So it was a different strategy. It wasn't so much that you were against knowing what was actually going on in your son's life. It was that you wanted to build some respect and trust with your child such that he could come to you and tell you. Has it worked out that way in in his life?
2: Absolutely. And it's funny, just uh, two days ago, there had been something that he and I had been discussing. And um, he came to me the day after our discussion, and he said, Dad, I... um, what I said to you wasn't totally accurate, and I kind of, kind of tweaked the truth a little bit here. And he totally came up and offered that. So yeah, you know, you, you start nurturing and developing that kind of relationship. You give them some freedom to screw up and take some risks and make some mistakes, man. But they got to know that you've got your back. You know, you've got their back. Yeah, but- they will come to you. They will talk to you.
0: Well, and I, I would imagine that for a lot of Christian parents who are listening, they're saying, but wait a minute. Okay, if you have a situation where your child is out at a party that maybe he wasn't supposed to be at, and there's underage drinking, that's a no-no. Of course, we don't want our children involved in that kind of situation. Isn't it the responsibility of the Christian parent to know what was going on and to say, hey, son, you shouldn't have been there in the first place. We're glad that you got out of there. But, you know, wh- what about the moral lesson when you're trying to also be a good parent? How, how do you, how do how do how do you navigate that.
2: Uh, one of the things is definitely. I, I think that's going to come up in the discussion. Yeah. You know, it, it, I, I think the kid's going to bring that up at some point, and it gives you the opportunity to talk about it. Um, now, I will say, in, 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 and in of course, that whole idea of that blog post—that's of such a minute portion of the book itself. Yeah. But um, but the caveat that we always put out there was. If we come to get you and you're in a dangerous situation, you are your brother's keeper. If anyone else is in a dangerous situation, you have to speak. You have to speak up so we can contact other parents, so we can go look into it, whatever it is.
0: Right. So you're also trying to teach responsibility to your son along the way. You're not just saying, I'm never going to ask any questions. I don't want to know anything that's going on. That's that doesn't seem to be the rationale that you're operating under, that you just want to let him do what he wants and and you don't want to know anything. Oh, absolutely.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's a beautiful way of putting it. Um, You know, the whole premise of my book is, you know, raising strong kids, you know, helping them develop their identity to know who they are so they can stand firm in a very tough world. And I really believe one of the ways that we gauge our children's strength is we kind of, we see it in their empathy for others, in their heart for others. You know, I, I, call, I call empathy the fuel gauge of a strong heart. Hmm. So as a parent, I look at my kids and I think, okay, what, what's their capacity to love people? to care for people and that gives me an idea of how we're doing on this journey
0: yeah yeah, well, you know, you hear so many stories, Bert, about Christian parents who did the very best that they could with their kids, and they fell away from the Lord, or they got involved in all sorts of things they shouldn't have done. And the Christian parents say, but we did this and this and this, and then you'll talk to the kid, and the kid will say, it was such an oppressive household, and there was too much heavy-handedness. Is this, in a way, a response to what you have seen as too much heavy-handedness, Christian parents who might mean well, but it's backfiring because they were too oppressive with their kids?
2: Uh oh. In some cases, possibly, um, and of course, I hate to generalize anything like that because, you know, I I have seen kids come out of very very strict households, and they are leading very loving, life filled, Christian led, you know, Christ led lives. Yes. Um, so, so I, I hate to generalize anything like that. Um, I think the thing that I really try to get at in this book is I try to get parents to consider the places in their lives where they are still broken, Hmm. where they still need healing. Because I think a lot of times our brokenness and our feelings of, you know, not having what it takes, not being good enough, whatever else, man, that really taints how we raise our kids. So... As parents, we need a ton of healing still. And I focus on that quite a lot in the book. Because I think a lot of times we wound our kids through our own brokenness without ever even realizing it.
0: What kind of brokenness do you refer to when you're thinking of parents who still need healing in their own lives? What have you seen?
2: Um, I can use myself as an example. Um, There's a story I tell in the book... Where my oldest son, who's actually getting married next week, when he was six years old and he wants to play baseball, I'm in the backyard with him, just passing ball with him, trying to get him ready for tryouts. I wouldn't let him quit until he had 10 perfect catches and throws. Hmm. We were out there until dark. Hmm. Tears, whining, crying. That had nothing to do with him. That had everything to do with my brokenness. And and I, I relate that to a story of when I played football. And I was a young kid when I got to play football for the first time. And I didn't know what I was doing. And I remember the first game I got in, the coach grabbed my face mask and dragged me around the field as he screamed at me for my mistake.
0: Bert, hang on a second. I hate to break things here, but we've got to pause for a quick break. Bert, folks, his book is called Ex-Planned Parenting. We'll pick things up on the other side. Come back with us right after this. Hi, this is Janet Mefford. Did you miss the deadline to sign up for a healthcare program at the end of 2020? If so, I have good news. A special enrollment period is taking place now through August 15th, meaning that if you're looking to enroll in a new healthcare program for 2021, you can do so without the need for a qualifying event. More than 200,000 Americans trust Liberty HealthShare for their health care needs. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit health sharing ministry that offers affordable health care sharing programs, starting as low as $199 per month. Liberty HealthShare gives you the ability to choose any doctor or hospital across the nation. Memberships are for individuals, couples, and families, offering a variety of options to best suit your medical needs. Discover more about the power of sharing at libertyhealthshare.org slash jmb today. For more information, call 855-585-4237, 855-585-4237, or libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT.
1: Many people in developing nations have no access to desperately needed medical care. That's why Mercy Ships brings volunteers aboard our hospital ship, the Africa Mercy, to give the world's forgotten poor the free medical care they need. We have an immediate need for registered nurses, especially with a pediatric specialty. As a volunteer nurse, you won't just give life-altering healthcare, you'll receive so much in return.
0: It's an amazingly rewarding experience.
1: You'll give hope and make a difference in the lives of those who have virtually no access to medical aid.
0: It's such a fantastic thing to do. Everybody who I've met on
2: this ship either wants to come back and do it again or they're already here for the second, third, or tenth
0: time.
1: So what are you waiting for? Show mercy to someone today. I would say go for it. Get more information and learn how to apply by visiting mercyships.org forward slash nurses. That's mercyships.org forward slash nurses. You're listening to Janet Mefford Today, and now, here's Janet.
0: We are back on Janet Mefford Today. My guest, Bert Falks, he is founder and co-director of Empty Stone Ministry and author of X-Plan Parenting. We're talking about the book and becoming your child's ally and raising strong kids in a challenging world, which is always something that we all strive for as Christian parents. You said something really interesting, Bert, before we had to go to the break. You were talking about the fact that oftentimes when we make mistakes in parenting, it's because parents are dealing with their own issues and perhaps projecting them onto their kids. And that's where we can really mess up. And you were talking about your own experience as a kid with sports, with football in particular, and how that impacted the way that you were dealing with your son and requiring him to have so many perfect throws when you were out playing baseball with him. Wanted to let you finish that story and kind of finish making that point, because I thought that was a really good one.
2: Sure. Thank you. Um, You know, like I said, As a kid, the coach grabs my face mask. He drags me around the field, and I was humiliated. And just, I I was so broken inside, and a couple weeks later, I I quit football. Um, Man, that, that was buried deep in me. And I made a secret vow that day that I didn't realize until years later as an adult, that I would never be unprepared again. Oh, wow. And... That's a, man, that could become a, a heavy burden to bear. And that was that was really affecting how I was parenting my kids. I drove them so hard to do everything right and to be ready. And I thought, okay, my son's got to be ready for tryouts because I don't want him to ever feel what I felt. <laughs> that's horrible. Yeah, that, that's yeah. terrible parenting. But our own brokenness gets in the way so much of our relationships with our kids. And so as parents we got to go back in our stories to figure out where we kind of got pulled off track so we can help our kids find the path that was made for them. And I I really believe every kid comes into the world with something unique, something special. God made them to bring something that no one else can bring. And it's our job as parents to help them find that path.
0: That's great. Well, and you see this in a lot of areas. I think a lot of times people will notice with fathers in particular, there's this desire to have a sports star for a child, and maybe it's because dad was a sports star, and maybe it's because dad wasn't a sports star. And moms, you know, moms will have other problems, and there's academic pressure on kids. I want to have the smartest kid. I want to have the most achieved, you know, kid in the universe and all this kind of stuff. And you really are looking at your kid as living out, you know, your You're living your life vicariously through your children. How do you back off from that, though? Because you obviously realized the error that you were making and said, listen, I want to become my child's ally. I don't necessarily have to turn my child into the perfect child. Not that there is one anyway. What woke you up and, and how do you get other parents to wake up to that and correct it, and and really see those children, those children that God has given to us, as created in His image, with His own talents and gifts given to them, that they need to discover, and we need to give them the freedom to discover them.
2: I think if a lot of parents, and I know, I'm willing to bet that most, if not all, of your listeners are on social media, and they probably post stuff about their kids. Uh, go look at your Facebook posts about your kids and see how many of them are related to some kind of a performance
1: Hmm. whether it's
2: sports or academics or whatever else I think a lot of times we damage our kids through our praise and our kids start to equate their performance with their value
0: yeah they do Mm -hmm.
2: that's two totally different things you know and As parents, we got to encourage our kids to take some risks in life, teach them that it's okay to fail. Failure's great. We all fail, and we all learn from it and grow from it. Um, You know, you look throughout the Bible, you know, all the Bible heroes were pretty big screw-ups and failures. They're they're (laughs) great redemption stories, because sometimes it wasn't the performance that mattered, but the person yeah. And that's what we have to instill in our kids. You know, I'm, I'm not celebrating your performance. I want to celebrate you because you're awesome. You bring something special. I love your heart. I love your empathy for others. I love your sense of humor. You know, whatever it is your kid shines, you know, we need to celebrate who they are much more than their performances.
0: Well, that is really important. Absolutely. But how do you see the role of straight up discipline and correction? When the Bible talks about you don't exasperate your children, bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, Ephesians 6, 4. We do have that role as well when our children are young and we have to discipline them at times and instruct them and correct them. How do you do both? How do you navigate both of those responsibilities to become your child's ally and give that freedom and, and embrace them as the people God created them to be? But also make those corrections that are necessary for being a good parent and creating a future good adult.
2: One thing is, and, and this is from an old, this is something we learned as teachers, you know, side so of background in teaching, um, you, you want to pro- provide more guidance and structure early on. And then you can lessen up on the reins as they grow. Sure. I've seen, I've seen a lot of parents um, who kind of let kids just run wild when they're young. And then they find themselves in crisis mode later. And then it's like trying to stuff a genie back into a bottle when they try to, you know, uh, throw in some discipline. Um, that's hard. So you know, you got to start young in nurturing some self discipline,
3: mm-hmm.
2: you know, and, and, Kids learn far more from what we do than what we say. So the big thing is what are we modeling for our kids?
0: Right. And they're very, very, very quick to see when you are falling short of what you're telling them to do. But mom, you did X. But dad, you don't follow that. That sort of thing. And yeah, yeah. but it's also not a bad thing, I think, as a parent to say to your child, I I messed up, too. (laughs) Sorry, I'm not perfect. I'm telling you what we all ought to be. But I have to, you know, I'm a sinner as well. I have I need God's grace and forgiveness, too, just as much as you do.
2: Uh, There there have been times, and I'm getting so much better at this, thank God, because that's that's a reflection of the the healing that I continually go through in my life, because God's not done with me. I've I've still got a long way to grow, but there are many times I'll go to my kids and I'll say, I'm sorry for how I handled that. I, I make mistakes, you know, and it's good for kids to see that.
0: Well, it is. So when you're implementing the X plan, as you mentioned at the outside of the show, that you have your child, if he's in a bad situation, just text an X and then, you know, no questions asked, mom and dad come. How has that changed things for your child? What kind of long-term effect has implementing that plan made for for your family? Like, how well does it work? I think a lot of people would want to know.
2: For us personally, it, it really hasn't changed our family because it was really just a natural outgrowth of how our family functions. You know, we we have a really pretty good relationship with our kids. We're pretty open and honest with each other. However, I've heard from parents from all over the world who went to their kids and said, hey, I read about this X-Plan thing online, and then they contacted me and said, oh, we had a beautiful conversation about sex drugs, whatever, that we've never been able to talk about before. (laughs) So the thing is, you know, when kids know that you're not trying to be heavy-handed, you're not trying to come at them and trick them, when kids know you genuinely care about them, man, that goes a long way into building those bridges. And and that's why I talk about you want to be your kid's ally, but not their friend. Yeah. I mean, if, if you need your kid to be your best friend you need some actual
0: friends
2: so <laughs> pin that on
0: your right. kids right oh yeah that's exactly right I, I always say this every time I get on an airplane I, I see par- bad parenting in action and you know <laughs> little, little kids who just mom, they're running the show mom's not running the show and I do think about that I think how are those kids going to turn out mom can't even handle them at two and three what are you going to do when they're 15 uh, and 17 or 16 oh
2: I know I know it's, it's It's kind of sad in a lot of ways, but, you know, uh, I have a lot of faith and I pray all the time that, uh, kids are flexible and strong enough that most of them will survive in spite of what we do to them.
0: Boy, isn't that true. Boy, isn't that true. And love goes a long way. And that's, uh, see, that's what's coming through when I'm listening to you talk about this and going through your book, Bert, and that is you want to have long-term this relationship of love and trust with your kids. Yes. Yeah.
2: Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, none of us get it all right. You know, and that's why, you know, I say in the book at one point, I don't write the book as a how-to. You know, I really wrote the book to open parents to a lot of new questions, to think about themselves and their own journey and their own relationship with Christ because that's going to impact your relationship with your kid on that journey you're taking together.
0: That is a really important point. And people can read about it. X-Plan Parenting is the name of the book, Become Your Child's Ally, A Guide to Raising Strong Kids in a Challenging World. And so good to have with us its author, Bert Falks. Bert, thank you so much for being with us. Really enjoyed the book and enjoyed talking to you.
2: Hey, thank you so very much, Janet. I really appreciate it.
0: Oh, God bless you. Thanks so much, Bert. And thanks for being with us. Thank you. And thanks for being with us on Janet Metford Today. We'll see you next time.